Female artists do not get the same level of support. The female artists that I know of have reinvented themselves 20 times more than the male artists. There's a poor representation of all different types of women in music. Seek out strong women to align yourself with. We have to accept that there is a certain level of social responsibility that we do have for each other. And the sooner we recognize that, the sooner the music industry can change. Hi, and welcome to Control, the podcast where we speak to incredibly inspiring women in the music industry who have taken control of their music and control of their careers. I'm your host, Chelsea Wilson, and in this episode, I'm chatting to award-winning producer Anna Laverty. The USC Annenberg Report, released in 2020, titled Inclusion in the Recording Studio, revealed the ratio of male to female producers across 500 popular songs was 37 to 1, which indicates that only 2.6% of producers identify as female. The report listed the main barriers to career success for women in studios include objectification and stereotyping. So defying the odds, Anna Laverty has forged her own career path as a producer, engineer and writer. She's worked internationally with artists from Lady Gaga, Florence and the Machine to Nick Cave and Courtney Barnett, developing her own sound and studio techniques and her own philosophy on making records. Anna joined me in our digital podcast studio during lockdown to talk about tech education, songwriting, and so much more. So here's my conversation with award-winning producer, Anna Laverty. Anna Laverty, welcome to the Control Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I wanted to say firstly, congratulations on your nomination for the Producer of the Year Award for Music Victoria. I hope that's put a bit of a spring in your step during this insane time. Yeah, it really has. I mean, I, you know, obviously it's a, it was a new category this year and I, I, for years I really wanted there to be a category that recognised producers because they just contribute so much to this crazy industry of ours and there's not, there's really not, a lot of acknowledgement anywhere for for that so it's really nice to have the category of course it's really nice to be nominated always and not only that just to kind of see who else is making great records as well you know it's cool yeah do you think the reason why there isn't more awards of that nature is because people are a little bit unsure of what producers do there's just a little bit of mystery around it um maybe and also I think you know the the definition of a producer is changing a lot as well, has been changing for the last however many years because now a lot of producers are also um, musicians who produce their own music. I think there was a period in the UK like where they have, you know, the Music Producer Awards there and they've just introduced new categories this year, which is like writer producer. So because the industry, like job descriptions is changing so much. So where it used to be, you'd be a producer only. Now, especially in Australia, you're a producer, engineer, mixer, writer, you know, you're all the things because because of a lot of things, not least, you know, budget shrinking and so one person having to wear a lot of caps. But it's fine. It's, it is what it is. It's just in flux and we're just trying to chase it. I wanted to go back to the beginning of your career. I read that you really got interested and excited about the idea of working in audio production as a teenager, going through records, 
reading the credits on the back of records and that you did some work experience during high school in studios, which must have been amazing. I wish I could have done that. I wanted to ask you if you remember your very first recording session and what that felt like and and what the experience was like. Yeah, for sure. So um, bearing in mind I'm a little bit older, so we de- like music in schools back then was like, everyone either played like the trombone or the flute or something, you know, extremely on rock and roll. And that was my experience of music. So I actually dropped out of music and I, um, I, I didn't do it in high school um, for the last couple of years, which is the most kind of important years, but I did drama. And so in my drama class, I was a terrible actor. I never wanted to act, but I basically ran, I ran the, the lighting and the sound. So I did all the um, technical stuff for those productions that we had at high school. And from there, my music teacher said, um, sorry, my drama teacher said, uh, you know, there's this college in, cause I was in WA. There's a college here called the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts. You should go and check out their courses and they've got some amazing technical courses. And so I went and I did sound. When I went to the open day, the guy the guy that was running it was like, I'm just going to be honest with you, you're not going to get in next year because um, we never take on, we almost never take on high school graduates because we like people to go and have a little bit of life experience. And, and part of the application is based on you having experience and it's like a percentage of the application is based on what experience you have. And so I was like, okay, cool. So I went in year 10, like two years before the end of school to the open day and I got told that. And so then for every school holidays after then, I went and volunteered in a studio. That's how I got that experience up in my application and I got in straight out of school. And when I got there, I was 17 and everyone else on the course was quite a lot older than me and I was also the only girl and so it was just very overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. And what was the, that first kind of work experience gig like? Um, it was really cool. So I went and worked. My dad is an electrician and he worked um, in East Perth and next door to his the business where he worked was this like brick building in the middle of a car park and on the front it said Hampton Sound Studio. My dad was like, I've got a recording studio next door to my work. I'm going to go and ask them if, um, you know, you can come and do work experience. And I was like, oh, my God, Dad, so embarrassing. And, you know, he went and knocked on the door and was just this guy and he was like yeah sure she can come do work experience so I like went into a studio did all the stuff learned how to roll cables and you know make tea and all the glamorous stuff that you do when you're an intern in a studio and um it was truly truly amazing like listening to the same thing over and over and over again and I was I was sold that was me that's all I wanted to do do you remember what kind of gear he used was he using dat or tape yeah, I'm pretty sure it was DAT and ADAT and it was, you know, it would have been in like 2000, 99, something like that. So it was a long time ago and honestly I can't even really remember what he used because I didn't know anything about audio at that stage and so I had a lot to learn. But I remember um, there was another girl there that was, I think she was doing work experience as well at the same time and I remember she said to me, you know, he said to both of us, what kind of music are you into? And I was like, oh, I really love Powderfinger, you know. And she was like, oh, my favourite artist is Cat Power. And I was like, oh, yeah, I love Cat Power too. And I'd never heard of Cat Power. So I went home and, like, not Googled but looked up Cat Power and that then sent me on this journey of music that I had never heard before and it was so, so good 
and just made me want to do it even more. And everywhere I went, I would meet people and they would tell me what kind of music they were into and that would send me off on another spiral of listening to different records and it, it just never ended. It's just that time, that formative time where you first get into music is so cool. So in terms of your experience at, at WAPA and being one of the few women or the only woman doing that program, did it ever kind of knock your belief in yourself that you could actually achieve the goal of becoming a producer? No, um, there was there was actually another couple of women. One was in the year above and she was amazing. Her name was Haley, and I'm pretty sure she went on to do theatre sound. And then there was another girl in my year but she was into different stuff to me anyway. But it kind of didn't and I don't know why that is. I just had really good experiences with men in the industry and they were very well not not even welcoming because they are not the gatekeepers I just I never felt like I was less than even throughout my career when I did experience um some sexism and some sexist comments or like uh, you know systemic sexism I kind of just got pissed off about it and tried to confront it rather than be put off by it or upset by it. I did some audio engineering study when I did my undergrad. I did the Bachelor of Popular Music at the Queensland Conservatorium. So you went in as an artist, but you had to also learn producing and engineering and you had to produce other people's tracks and mix other people's tracks and and that kind of thing. But I remember my first class with the audio engineering teacher in the third grade. He started talking about compression and he started talking about this and that. And then he just looked at me and said, don't worry, I'll make sure I spend some special time just one-on-one with you because I know the girls really struggle. All I can say is that women um, generally have to work harder, prove themselves more, be, you know, more accommodating. Yeah, all those things. They have to just be better. They have to be better than everyone else around them to even be considered in the same league. I've seen that for over many years, multiple times. I really wanted to chat to you also about your time in London. You know, you really paid your dues working in studios in London and you worked with a, you know, quite a range of different producers and artists. What do you think some of the main differences and the approaches of some of the producers you worked with and, and what did you learn from them? So in the UK there was usually always, well, there was always, always a um, producer and then a separate engineer different person who was an engineer and then I would be there as like an assistant engineer just sort of learning it all but and not least learning that relationship between the producer and the engineer which of course has helped me because I'm now both Um, (laughs) every producer is really different in the way that they approach things Okay, so I worked with a guy called Ben Hillier who was an amazing producer and he was he worked with Blur and um, a few other amazing bands. But when I was working with him, we did a Depeche Mode record and a few other records. And so one main takeaway from that for me was that he was a percussion player. He had studied percussion at university and so every record had these really complex, thought-out, incredibly supportive percussive parts in them that he had written and that was just that was such a trademark of his and I've never worked with anyone since who was that good at doing that in songs and so I guess I kind of took a lot away from that in like don't just at the end of the day be like oh let's just chuck some tambo on a song because really 
percussion can be so much more than that in a song and it can change it, change it. It's not just an end thought, it's actually part of the composition. So that was something I took away from him. And then, like, I worked with Paul Epworth a lot. Um, we did a Florence and the, and the Machine album and a, and a few more. And he, you know, during that session, I remember Florence was really, she was very young and she was very self-conscious, especially about how loud her voice was. She thought that was a bad thing. And so what she was really nervous about singing in front of, so bear in mind there's like a producer and an engineer and then me in the room. So she's singing in front of three people. She's like an 18-year-old young girl who's self-conscious. And so Paul, what Paul would do was turn out all the lights, bring in a projector and turn the room into an underwater scene so that she can stand there and sing and not see anyone and all she can see is like whales floating around, you know. Like he just made the singer so comfortable in that environment that they were able to perform at their best and that's something I've taken away from working with him. So with every person you work with, you just pick up little things and then, you know, after freaking 10 years of being a, um assistant engineer, you learn a few things, you know. What do you think you learned about yourself from your time in London? I'm a quick learner. So, but I never, I never lie. So if I genuinely don't get something, it's so much better to ask them to show you again rather than pretend you know how to do something and then break someone's really expensive gear. <laughs> That's definitely something I learned from watching other people. Also that I cannot and should not lift road cases on my own. I was working with a band called Travis and they, they came in off tour and they brought in a huge, huge, um, all their touring road cases and um, the, the producer said to me, are you cool to um, set up the drum kit so that in the morning when we come in, you know, the, the drums will all be ready to go? And I was like, yeah, of course, no problem. So, like, I didn't realise that the touring guys were going to come in and just leave everything stacked on top of each other in big road cases. And so I had to, like, lift them down and get the drums out to set up to, to mic it up. Yeah, I lifted it down on my own and I did it and I was all good. But then that after that session when I was walking to the bus stop, to the night bus, I thought I was having a heart attack and I like collapsed on the floor in the middle of southeast London and of course no one came and helped me and so I called <laughs> called an ambulance I was like I think I'm having a heart attack and they were like how old are you and I said oh, I'm 23 and they were like you're definitely not having a heart attack it sounds like you they were like have you lifted anything lately and I was like yeah they said oh it sounds like you've torn a muscle in your ribcage and I had I'd torn my clavia and so and it still plays up sometimes like when I lift heavy things I feel it like start to hurt again so don't lift heavy things <laughs> oh I'm so sorry to hear that I love your determination that you're like I'm setting this drum kit up nothing's gonna stop me <laughs> it really shows what my focus and my determination was like in those early days I was like I couldn't call someone to come and help me because like I was the only girl and I was like I don't want to be seen as the person who can't lift a road case but the fact of the matter is no one can lift a road case on their own like off the top of some huge stack of stuff and neither should you <laughs> I mean if it falls on you you'll die and so I guess it's just gaining confidence as you get older that things actually genuine, genuinely don't have to be gendered it's just dangerous <laughs> I wanted to ask you what did it feel like when you finally for the first time saw your name on the back of a record I said, look I don't know if it was the first one but one that really really got me was um I did a block party a few block party sessions for that album 
that was really big. <laughs> I can't remember what it's called. I had I had previously done work experience at um, a record label called Cooking Vinyl in London, and I had got to meet a few people through that in other labels. And I'd become friends with this guy called Ben Wildman, who was really lovely, and he ran this cool little record label. And anyway, really long story short. When I did the Block Party re- record, he was one of the A&Rs on it for his um, record label and he came into the studio and he's like, oh, my God, Anna, I'm so happy to see you work in the studio. This is really great. So he knew I'd been working on the um, session and then, anyway, never saw him, uh, you know, again and then the record came out and he had made it his business to make sure that I'd been credited because often assistants get forgotten, especially on those really big records. And he sent me, dropped me an email and he was just like, hey, I said, oh, my God, thank you so much for the credit on the record. And he's like, oh, yeah, no worries. I'm, You know, I made sure that that happened because he'd seen how hard I'd been working on it. And and that was a really big one for me. And that was, a, that was probably one of the first, big records I had my name on so and my my husband was working at HMV on Oxford Street at the time and so they got the record in and he and he like got it out of the box and my name was on there and that was that was pretty cool. Was that a bring out the Moe kind of night? Oh (laughs) no dude I was making six pounds an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Okay not quite not quite Moe. So when did you decide you wanted to take the helm as producer? Yeah so that came much later I it was really funny because I um I've been doing it for a really long time, really, 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 really long time, really paid my dues. And there was a few things that happened all at once. One was I was working on was working on a little red record and Demo from Liberation came in to see how everyone was going. You know, we had a really amazing, lovely chat actually just one day at the kitchen table. And he was like, so what's your story? Where have you come from? And I started telling him what I'd done and he was just like, oh, my God, why? <laughs> why are you an assistant engineer? Like, why aren't you making your own records? And he just said some really lovely things to me, like, oh, you should be, you know, you should be doing your own sessions and stuff. And that was really cool. I'd been working with Stephen Schramm a lot, who's another producer, and he really said to me one day, I'm not booking you as an assistant anymore. You need to go out and get your own gigs because I was just at that point where I had, I was running sessions. I was doing everything and I was still the assistant engineer. And so a few people a few of my kind of mentors or older colleagues kind of said to me like it's really time for you to go and get your own gigs and so I really needed that kick up the ass to do that and then there was you know there was also that thing where at that time there was a few kids coming out of college like they'd gone and done sort of like an 18 month course at SAE or something like that and they were coming out and graduating and calling calling themselves producers and I was like hey hold up you know back of the line kind of thing but then I sort of realized that was on me. It was my fault that I wasn't being called a producer because I wasn't calling myself it. Um, yeah, and then also around about the same time, Kath Harity, who's my manager, um, basically came into the studio one day and was like, oh, I want to take you out for coffee. Let's go and have a chat um, about your career. And I was like, oh, shit, I think I need to start calling myself a producer. <laughs> you know, if someone wants to represent me as a producer, I should probably start calling myself that. So how do you go about as a producer choosing what projects you want to work on I mean there's so much responsibility in being a producer you know you're really you're interpreting compositions for a recorded context you're creating this kind of sonic world for the album in terms of how it sits with textures you know I kind of think of it as this sonic portrait of compositions you know do people come to you I want you to record my album and because they want the analabity sound and you kind of think well those songs don't fit my sound so no or do you go about 
creating this new sound for each artist you work with? That's a really good question. No, I, I definitely would never let me wanting to put imprint on a record affect what I work on. The only thing I really, because I, I actually didn't realise I had like a sound. It, I think that kind of only really came about after I'd done, you know, a bunch of records in the same genre and, and they did all have a kind of feel about them. But I also do other stuff. Like I guess what I'm talking about is like that Melbourne kind of post-punk scene, the, you know, like the Peep Temples and the Shepparton Airplanes and, and that kind of vibe, that's definitely a certain feel. Um, but then I also do like I do jazz things and folk things and all that and that doesn't have like a, a stamp that sounds the same. I guess how I find work is I have a really wide uh, taste in music. I like all different types of music and I guess it's just about if I like it and I want to do it. Usually um, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot if you take on a project where you don't if you don't like the music because you're not going to get it. You're not going to understand it. You know, you're not going to be able to help. I think it's important, you know, as an artist, have that in- integrity that, you know, if you feel that you can't add to it or, you know, shape it. Because I guess as producer, you want to nurture these songs so they can be the best possible recorded versions. I mean, you don't want your name on something that's not that you're not proud of. Yeah. I mean, it did take a while to say no, to learn how to say no. That's probably something you get burnt on as well, you know, a couple of times and then you sort of never do it again. And also, like, I'm kind of not – this has changed like, over the years because I've, you know, I've got other priorities in my life now as well where, like, I don't want to go and work on something long hours, long days, not not a huge amount of money and be, like, away from my family if I'm not enjoying it. Yeah, if you're not in love with the project. So that's a that's a big part of it too. Can we talk a little bit about working with artists? So, you know, how how you go about making that relationship if it's an artist you haven't worked with before and, and making them feel comfortable because we spend so much time in the studio. Making records is really, really hard. <laughs> it's so hard. It's so many hours. It's really stressful. You're in a small contained environment with this small group of people for long, long hours. Do you do that Florence and the Machine um, underwater scene? I love that story. Sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes if like if that's what it calls for, I pull out all the tricks, you know, if I have to. Like, um, I've set, I've done things where I've like set a singer up in a little tiny cupboard on the side of the studio because I know they're not going to want me sitting there looking at them, and it's and it's really awkward for them. They can't turn around to me and be like, "Hey, can you not look at me while I'm recording vocals?" But I, I just have, I kind of just have a sense about that stuff, like. Um, you know, I can tell when people are feeling really awkward and so I'll kind of acknowledge that and, well, not even not not verbally acknowledge it but just within myself acknowledge it and kind of try to work out how we can get around that barrier because literally all a producer's job is is something going wrong and you fixing it <laughs> and just till you finished a record that's what it is that's what being a producer is um there you go and ha- and, and being a psychologist that's it <laughs> so bringing out the best in, in the artist let's can we talk about that kind of emotional emotional part of it because I think what you're sort of talking about if I may is just that emotional intelligence around you know how you can sensitively 
guide coax make the artist feel comfortable so they can bring out that most intimate part of themselves which is their story through their own song have you had any moments where there's been a kind of emotional real moment for that artist and you've had to kind of support them how do you manage that every gig yeah that happens and um it also goes the other way too and um so yes people are very vulnerable and very and can feel overwhelmed and have like breakdowns and stuff but actually sometimes it goes the other way and this is all it's the same thing when people are overwhelmed uncomfortable vulnerable some people react and they cry some people react and they put their guard up and they're very bravado and they become combative and you have to manage those egos as well it's it's yeah it's people people management emotion management and and that's a huge part of it and honestly that's the kind of stuff that I was so grateful that I had done years and years and years of of being an assistant engineer because I had seen people manage that and I'd really taken away some tricks on how to deal with those things you know how to deal with band dynamics and then also like um just egos and also you know there's also the actual very serious thing of like people who are really struggling mentally with things and it's coming out in their music and they're not they need support in that way Mm. I'm really glad that there's more conversations happening at the moment in the music industry around mental health for artists and industry workers we love you know, I mean, the general public, you know, more broadly, you know, this kind of 27-year-old sex, drugs, rock and roll, Amy Winehouse, Kurt Cobain, people that are pouring their heart and soul into these records and this rawness we're so attracted to and it's exciting and it makes for great music. But it's like, well, clearly these people were suffering, you know, with so many other things and they had record producers, they had touring managers they had booking agents all these people that just kept booking them work even though they were clearly in a lot of pain so I'm really glad those conversations are are happening more and more but yeah they don't teach mental health or interpersonal issues uh as part of an audio engineering course that I know of. I take it really seriously and I'm really happy to see that support act is there and available to people unfortunately you know, when people are in that state, they often don't reach out for help. And so I think there needs to be, you know, other ways of accessing that help rather than just relying on someone to call up. You know, I think we need to support each other. Moving on to a bit of a a different topic, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your your ears. I think listening abilities are kind of a real spectrum. When you listen to songs, are you hyper aware of too much compression there, I'm hearing the EQ there, or can you switch that off and enjoy the song? Yeah, yes, I can switch it off and enjoy the song. And I'm so grateful that I can because, like I said before, I really love music and I listen to a lot of music. So if I, if I couldn't enjoy it anymore and it was all just business, I think that would be a real shame because music's been the biggest thing in my whole life ever, you know. So I love live music. I can go to a gig and get totally immersed in it. And even if something sounds rubbish, like a, a certain thing or, or, you know, you can't hear the backing vocals because, you know, they either they haven't turned them up or they can't get them over the band or whatever, Um I can still enjoy that for what it is. I'm really grateful for that. In terms of recorded music, um, 
Yeah, and it's really funny because, like, when I've done a record, I tend to listen to it a lot after. So, like, I won't listen to it until it comes out pretty much and then it comes out and I'll just play it on Spotify over and over and over again. And sometimes I will have forgotten, like, how we got a sound or a tone and I'll be like, oh, that sounds really cool. I wonder what that is. And so it's like I was there. I did it. I made it. But I could, I can't. I guess what I'm trying to say is like you can listen to an album and there'll be all these cool new different elements or guitar tones or different keyboard parts or whatever and you just have to enjoy what they do in the song. You don't have to know how everything works and that's part of the mystery and the beauty of music is, you know, you you have to feel it. Music isn't about dissecting it. It's about feeling it. I love that. Well, for musicians, how do you think we can improve our hearing and our kind of broader knowledge of recording concepts so we can better work with producers. Okay, a really good way of communicating with producers, a really good way of communicating with producers is when you, so I do a lot of pre-production and so before we do a project, we'll get into a room together. So say we were going to make a a record together and you were going to send me your demos, which is like your iPhone recording of you in your bedroom playing guitar or piano and singing and you, I would probably want the lyrics just so I can have a look and see if there's anything that can be improved on. And the other thing I will always ask for is references. So I want you to send me a song that you love the drum sound in, right? And I want you to send me a song that you love the vocals in. And so because even if you know the language, so even if you say like, I really love, um, you know, the reverb on this vocal, right? Or I really love how this um, this snare is just really driving. That could mean something completely different to you to what it means to me. So then we get in the studio and I'm trying to make the drum sound driving to what I think driving is. And I'm like, I've got it. I'm happy. And then at the end you're like, I just really don't like the snare sound. <laughs> it's just not what I was going for at all. But if you can give me a song, I can interpret that. I can recreate that, I should say. Me creating a sound on your your dialogue is probably not, it's a slippery slope, you know. It's so easy to keep working on a record, I think. You know, we have, you know, more time than, you know, I guess in the 50s, we're not restricted by tape or this whole idea you've got to do an album in one day. So it's so easy to kind of keep adding, keep editing. How do you know when it's time to stop and how do you have that conversation with yeah, there's a, there's a pretty famous saying in the in the producer world that says um, a record's never finished, you just stop working on it, you know. And I guess a, p- a part of a producer's job is having a goal and once you've met that goal, that you stop, you stop working on it because you've, you've finished, you've done what you set out to do. But a big hint in that area also is to have a plan, have an idea of what you're trying to get to because if you just sit down and go, I'm just going to start with drums, then I'll put bass on it, then I'll put guitar on it, then I'll sing on it, then I'll be really cool with some horns here. And then you just just keep going. You just keep, keep going and you overcook it, you know. So if before you even start you have an idea of what you want it to sound like based on, you know, references and all that kind of stuff and you've got a goal, you work towards that goal and then once you hit it, you can stop. What do you think makes a great song? Oh, a good song. If there was a strategy, then everyone would be, computers would be making songs. 
I think they already are, aren't they? Well, yeah, but they 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 are they absolutely are already making songs. Like, didn't one just win the uh, award for the Eurovision song? A computer made a song. Anyway, a good song is like emotions and math. So you, I know you're a songwriter as well as a producer as well as an engineer. There's many strings to the bow. How are you going at the moment in terms of your creativity within the kind of COVID? environment have you been writing do you feel like writing yeah I have been actually and it's really funny because normally I normally I absolutely do not ever have time to sit down and do writing sessions unless they're like scheduled in put in the diary and I've got like two hours to sit down and do a writing session with someone but since this has happened I kind of I've felt really creative um, and I've really enjoyed writing and actually like I attended a um, online so one of my like favorite songwriters in America Laura Veers she she started doing um, online songwriting workshops but they're in American time so I had to get up at like three o'clock in the morning and do it but it was with maybe like six other people and they were all American actually I asked a question at the end which was like how do you find people um who are committed because with songwriting the thing is there's no upfront like payment it's just based on them wanting to do it and it's really hard because if you commit all this time to like doing a co-write and then you're not finished the song and then they're like oh I don't really want to do it anymore or like I'm going on tour and I can't finish it it's like it's really hard to find someone who can commit to finishing a song with you because it's an investment in time which you know time is money for for people like me you know I'm trying if I, I I could be mixing you know where I get an hourly rate so that that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to say so anyway one of the girls who was on that thing from LA she contacted me and she's like hey I'll, I'll write a song with you like especially during COVID when I can't play any gigs or do anything so we've been writing heaps together and that's been really cool and it's all on like um you know um online virtual stuff and we've got like Google Docs going and it's just it's been really inspiring and then I've had like Actually, APRA set me up with like a three, two, one session. I did been writing with someone through that. I've been loving it. I've been really enjoying it. And it's really, it's tricky because, you know, I'm not a good player at all. So I, um, I'm really relying on the other person to play the song and I'm just trying to, you know, work on lyrics and structure and all that kind of stuff. So it's, I've loved it. I've actually, I've loved having the time to do it. In terms of kind of moving forward with, you know, with, in light of, COVID and so on um has it made you kind of think a bit more broadly about the music industry and you know is there any changes you'd like to see in the industry oh my god where do I start um I'm absolutely astounded at how we are regarded by the government and by you know the prime minister's um kind of list of priorities I cannot believe that we were left behind the way that we were actually gets me really emotional because I just I think there's so many people out there people in this industry work harder than people in a lot of other industries and I know that firsthand and they do it for life you know and they make really not a lot of money and then when there's a crisis and our industry is the first one to be shut down there's no support I just find that we pay taxes as well you know, I would really like people to remember that the music industry is an industry of business. It's We're not all sitting here around a campfire singing songs and having a great time. This is actually a business. <laughs> and so that that has really driven me to, to, to make change 
in our industry in that way. How I do that, I'm not entirely sure, but I'm working on it. <laughs> but then it's also it's also been really inspiring, like, you know, within a couple of weeks of us all being completely, de- our industry being completely decimated, things sh- like, it's like after a fire, you know, you start getting little shoots of green grass come through again and it's like we will always come back, we'll always regenerate because we have to do this. This is in our DNA to be musicians and producers and music workers we love it that's why we'll always do it how do you think the music industry can better support producers and and engineers because I feel like especially in this time production staff have been really kind of left you know the artists kind of take so much of that high profile media space do we need to make some cultural changes so that in terms of you know what support is out there for producers in the first place is there I feel so much for the other producers, engineers, live engineers. I just, ugh, my heart breaks for live engineers at the moment. Touring engineers who have been on the road for 10 years and all of a sudden they're like sitting in their flat wondering what the hell hit them. Um, I just, um, let's just put it this way, the way that this went down will never happen again. I think we will mobilise and things are going to change. I hope so. I feel positive that there's a lot of conversations happening. It's just keeping that momentum going. Uh, Like I really noticed sort of with all the other states, um, and that's not to say that they haven't been affected because I know that they have, but um, I really noticed very quickly that people sort of forgot about the way that things went down, it was almost like, you know, it's almost like Lord of the Flies where like shit started going bad and immediately people started turning on each other and being like um, all this camaraderie that we're led to believe like we would all be looked after and no man left behind and all that stuff. It actually just turned out to be absolute rubbish and that people were just going to look after themselves and their own industries. Um, And like I for one will kind of never forget that and I think it will change the way that I set like structure my my business and um the way that I protect myself I just think that stuff's going to change I really wanted to say huge thank you to you in terms of all your work that you do talking about your work as a producer and being so generous and sharing your experiences through mentoring and your work with APRA and the different sessions that you've done because that's saying you can't be what you can't see. I didn't see any female audio engineers, you know, when I was studying and even though I was in a class studying it, it always felt to me like recording studios were places for men, not having any kind of role models in that space. But it's not your responsibility to be the flag waver representing every female in audio production and it must get so tiresome and just actually fucking boring to answer questions on what's it like being a woman producer which is why I'm much more interested in actually talking to you about your approach to making records because that's actually what you do but I did want to ask you if there is any advice that you have for you know a 14, 15 year old that might be listening to this podcast or actually a woman of any age, it doesn't really matter, um, who wants to get involved in production. Yeah, look, the fact of the matter is, is it's a really hard industry. If it was easy, there'd be a lot of people that would do it because it's such a cool job. Um, so it is, it is hard, but if you're determined and if you really want to do it, you'll find a way, you really will find a way and you'll create a job for yourself within this industry and, and it'll happen. 
and you know I do thanks for saying that as well because I do I do feel a pretty not so much at the moment but definitely five years ago I felt a real responsibility to do guest lectures at colleges even though like you know you get paid absolutely nothing for doing it I just wanted to be like I just wanted to walk in there and not have the one girl in the class feel like they were sec- on the second tier again. I sort of wanted to lift them up a little bit and I know that I did that a few times and that's that's why that's why I did it. It's fine. I don't mind talking about it, but I don't always say what people want me to say, which is, you know, I've had a really bad experience and it was very sexist because it actually wasn't. I actually had a really good experience. Um, and any time, you know, as I said before, any time I did come up against it, I just sort of challenged it. But I know that not everyone has that personality type and that's what I'm doing it for. I'm doing it for the people who don't want to confront it and don't and shouldn't have to. They should be able to go to their place of work and not deal with this shit <laughs> for like 100%. Um, and so now there's just so many younger women who are coming up who are extremely empowered um, and I'm so, so happy that that's the case. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That was my chat with Anna Laverty. Please check out the show notes for Anna's discography and some other resources on recording and tech, including the USC report I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Please rate, subscribe and review the Control Podcast and check out our other episodes. You've been listening to Control. This episode was produced by me, Chelsea Wilson, and edited by Amy Chapman with support from City of Melbourne's Quick Response COVID Recovery Grants. This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Kulin Nations with respects paid to elders past, present and emerging. Until next time, Chelsea Wilson signing off.